Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Hey everybody, this is a mailbag episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, where I go through and I answer listener questions from you guys. So what happens is periodically people send questions in via email. I pick the best ones and I answer them right here on the podcast. Today, we're going to go through questions on 3D modeling and what my thoughts are in terms of when that will or won't take over things like fashion flat sketching and illustrator, when that might replace that in the industry. We're going to talk about tips on picking your factory to make your designs. We're going to go through some advice on kickstarting your fashion career. And we're going to talk about how some people manage to get so much done in a day. When the listeners reached out specifically and asked, how do I manage to do so many things? I'm going to talk about some of my thought processes behind this and how I manage to get a lot done in a day. Um, as always, if you have questions and you want them answered here on the show, you can email them at any time to podcast at soheidi.com. They can do with anything related to the fashion industry. And no matter how big or how small or how silly your question is, I guarantee that there are other people out there listening that have the same question. So don't be shy. Reach out and let me know what your questions are. Again, email me anytime at podcast at soheidi.com. And we will get those in the queue to get answered on the mailbag episode. All right, today we're going to start with a question from Megan. And Megan is asking about 3D software. So here's her specific question. She says, I was curious if there would be any transition or talk about 3D modeling and how it's becoming more and more an industry standard for both product developers and technical developers. More importantly, in design. In my industry, 3D modeling is replacing first prototype I'm not going to say where she works, but she works at a very, very, very large company doing apparel development. She says, we are also curating libraries for trims and 3D software, so it's a full breadth of garment and drape with all the embellishments and decoration. Are you seeing this in your career as well? It's crazy how shifts happen so quickly. So Megan, you know what? This is a really interesting question, and it is crazy how shifts happen so quickly, but this is what I'm seeing. And if anyone out there has ever listened to me talk about my thoughts on PLM and PDM software, product development, um, or product lifecycle software, you know that my thoughts are going to be very similar on that as they are on 3D modeling. So here's what I think. There are a plethora of 3D softwares and platforms that are available right now. Some of them are amazingly high-end. They do a phenomenal job. They are also very, very, very expensive. Some of them maybe are developed proprietarily for certain companies, whether those companies be in fashion or not. Some brands, some companies develop their own proprietary software. There's also software out there that come from startup companies. And so these startups, you know, are trying to break into, let's say, the 3D modeling area and they develop these softwares and they may be pretty cheap to start out in terms of cost. 
They may also be fairly simple in terms of how robust they are, but here's what I see happening with 3D modeling. Yes, I do think it is a very valuable uh, tool and resource for our industry, but there are so many companies out there trying to fill this need that what happens is some of the really, really big brands, like the brand that, Megan, you work for, um, again, I'm not going to say the name for privacy reasons, but it's a huge brand that you work for, they have the financial backing and the resources to invest in really, really, really good 3D software to prototype. Now, a lot of brands out there, a lot of brands out there do not have the financial backing to invest in this type of software that is really robust, that works really, really well. And so what are their alternatives? Well, their alternatives are to continue sketching in Illustrator. Of course, that just is simple and obvious and makes a lot of sense to continue sketching flats in Illustrator and then actually getting prototypes developed as samples in physical real life form. The other alternative is to work with, let's say, one of the smaller 3D prototyping platforms that comes from, air quotes here, a startup. And that can work. Those softwares are often much less expensive. Um, The challenge with this, the really big challenge I see with this, and it is the same challenge that I have seen companies and brands suffer through when it comes to PLM and PDM software. And so for those of you out there listening who may not know, PLM and PDM software is a software platform that essentially tracks the development and the life cycle of a product. And so this often can take place of your traditional tech pack, which may be done in Excel or some people even do in Illustrator. And so the idea with this software is to really streamline the process, have everything in one place, have it be this massive platform where the vendors can log in, the designers can log in, everybody can log in and access um, you know, the development and the life cycle of any given product at any given time. But the challenge with this, and it's the same challenge that I foresee happening with 3D, is that there are so many platforms out there that not everybody is is opting into the same platform. Some of them, as I said, are really expensive, and some of them are really inexpensive coming from startups. So we might think, well, why can we not all adopt the same one? Well, there's just too many options, and the really inexpensive ones are scary to use. Um, they are very, very scary because here's the thing that happens with startups. They may have this amazing tech packing software or they may PLM PDM software or they may have this amazing 3D software and for those of you who don't know you know startups are funded by investors or um, various levels of funding and they are often not profitable for a very very long time and what happens when they don't get enough funding is they're poof gone overnight they literally disappear overnight and so if you've invested your entire development process or design process in this 3D platform, and then all of a sudden the software is gone, you are stuck. You no longer have those files. You no longer can access those files. um, And the software is gone because the startup is gone because they lost their funding. So on the other end of the spectrum, there are these amazing platforms. But like I said, they are so expensive. And I just think that... It's going to be a long time, you know, I don't know, at least years, many years, I do believe, before we may come to a point where there is one winning software that works really well, that's reliable, that's going to stick around, that is somewhat cost-effective for all brands to latch on to. This is not dissimilar to what happened with Adobe Illustrator becoming the number one software for sketching in, in the fashion industry. You know, years ago, there were... 
other platforms. And there do still exist some other platforms. Um, there's Ned Graphics, there's Color Matters, there's uh, uh, Corel, there's Freehand. And some of these softwares have come and gone. And at the end of the day, it's really settled in Illustrator. But that took, you know, 10, 20, 30 years to really happen to come to fruition. And I think that the same thing is going to happen with the 3D. It's going to be a rocky road and it's going to take a while before this really, really takes off big in our industry just because of the reliability, the cost. And I say this from personal experience with some of the PLM and PDM packages. Uh, It was probably about mm, eight years ago, one of the brands I worked with wanted to invest in a PLM software. And we did. It was very expensive. I want to say it was like $25,000 per user, um, per year. There was, you know, licensing fees, all these things. There were setup costs. And we invested in it. And, you know, we got trained and we started doing all of our development in there. But it was hard because then we had to get our vendors on board to use that. And anyone else that we wanted to collaborate with, whether it be, um, you know, just bringing another person into the team or, you know, another brand in another company that maybe we were doing private label with that we were sharing files, it just got really complex and really sort of muddy because you have to get, if you want to do this, you have to get a lot of people to opt into it and that can be very expensive. So this is what I see happening with the 3D. I think it's phenomenal. I think the the potential is tremendous, but I just see some challenges in terms of really making this work on a large scale with everybody opting into the same thing where files are going to work and everybody can sort of work together. So unless you're a really big brand where you're using some big software that you can afford to pay for, then I just think it's a big uphill battle. And we will get there. I do think we'll get there, but I think it's going to take a lot of time. So there, Megan, those are my thoughts on 3D. Um, am I seeing this in my career as well? You know, the brands I work with are, are all tend to be a little bit smaller, and they are not adopting this at this time. It's just too big of a hurdle. And as I said, the packages are too expensive, and the lower price point ones are just not reliable enough. So I hope that helps answer your question. All right, the next question comes from Joe. And Joe says, Hi, Heidi. I love listening to your podcast and feel like I have learned a lot. That's awesome, Joe. I'm really glad to hear. I know this is a long shot, but I'm desperate for some advice. I'm creating a special denim line for women and had a sample made by a U.S. manufacturer. The sample took an unbelievably long amount of time and came back at all not reflecting my tech pack. They basically just recreated my rough proto. I decided to hire a company that works with startups to refine our tech pack and pattern file based on the fit testing. If I use this smaller company, I have to either choose pre-wash denim or outsource the wash process. With the larger but less dependable company, it would all be done in the same facility for less per price cost but higher minimums. Due to high shrinkage, I have to make a decision on the fabric in order to move forward with changes to the pattern. I've never gone through the manufacturing process before and really want to move forward. Do you have any advice you could share? Yes, Joe, I do have some advice. My first advice is never go with a company whose sample or prototyping process is unbelievably slow and who doesn't do a good job in terms of following your tech pack. During the sample and prototype process, you are getting a glimpse into what it might be like to work with this company. And your glimpse into what it might be like to work with them is only going to get 10 times more magnified when you go through actual production. So if the sample and prototype process 
feel somewhat painful, feel somewhat long, feels like they are not following the instructions, it's going to get 10 times worse if you work with them in production. If they do a phenomenal job, then chances are they are going to continue doing a phenomenal job. So this is your first red flag. I would never go with a company that did not treat me well during the sample process. This is them. This is the stage where they should be doing their best to win you as a customer. And if they're not, then it's either because they don't want to work with you, and that can be fine. Then maybe they're too big for you. That's fine. You move on. You find someone else that's a better match. Or it could just be because this is how they operate. And for me, that's not a type of company I want to work with. The other thing you comment on that is that there's a, a less per piece cost but higher minimums. I would never, especially when you are first starting out, I would never go with a factory who's requiring higher minimums than you want just because you get a better price per unit. You will be better off paying a little bit more per unit and ordering a lesser quantity when you're starting out. It is hard to sell product. I guarantee you, it is very hard to sell product. And you can do it. I'm not saying you can't. But the biggest mistake I see a lot of startup designers making is overbuying up front because they can get a lower price for a higher quantity. You are much better off buying a lower price quantity at a higher price. Uh, I talk about this extensively with Catherine Hildebrand in the interview. Um, She runs a a company called Good Clothing Company. And I suggest you listen to that because we talk about minimums in there and why it makes sense to order fewer styles and pay more. So I would definitely uh, take a listen to that episode. I'll link it in the show notes. And do not go with a company that is providing you with poor service and then is kind of requiring you to order more units than you want to order. I would go with the other company that you mentioned, even though you are going to have to be outsourcing the wash process. You know, oftentimes it's going to be more legwork to go with certain companies who can provide you with the amazing specialized service that you need. When you go to a big factory and they may be a one-stop shop where they can do everything for you, but all these things start to happen. You are having higher minimums and yes, it may be easier for you to work with them because they are one-stop shop. But like you said earlier, they're not that great to work with. So I would do the legwork to do some of the piecemeal things yourself in terms of outsourcing the wash process and working with a smaller company that is showing you better service for sure. So again, I hope that helps, Joe. And check out that episode with Catherine Hildebrand from Good Clothing Company. Again, I'll link to that in the show notes. All right, the last question we have up is a couple questions um, coming in from one listener, and I hope I'm going to pronounce your name right. Um, I believe it is Sihud, 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 C-I-H-U-D, um, from Indonesia. So you sent in quite a few questions, Sihud, and I am so excited to hear your enthusiasm and excitement for working in the industry. I've picked a couple that I felt were the best match for the episode. Um, so here we go. The first question, uh, you mentioned you are 28 years old, and you ask, do you think it's too late for me at this age already to enter the fashion industry. From your experience, what's the difference between the designers that start early and the ones who come in later like me? And this is a bit personal, if I may know. Where were you at 28 years old? What kind of situation, job, finance, and what stage of your career at that time? As, ne- as much as I want to feel motivated that I believe I'm doing the right thing and I'm on the right track, it still sometimes hits my self-esteem and I'm questioning my potentials in future. Sihud, it is not too late. 28 is still very young. Um, 
at 28, to be totally honest, I had just gotten married. I had just quit my full-time job as a free, um, excuse me, as a designer, and I was starting to freelance full-time. In that first year of freelancing, I pretty much earned nothing. So at 28, I was making no money and I was trying to freelance, get my career off the ground. Now, yes, I did already have some fashion industry experience, but I was kind of trying to start a new path in my career from absolute scratch. I always look back at things and I think, you know, if I could have gone back and done that sooner, yes, I would have done it sooner. But that doesn't mean it's ever too late because in a year from now, you've already lost another year and it's 29. You're 29. And you're going to think, why didn't I do that when I was 28? So no, it is not too late at your age. The difference between designers that start early and ones who come in later, I, you know, that's such a, it's such a subjective question and I don't I think that yeah if you start earlier you can make faster not faster but you can make progress at a younger age but I've also seen designers start later and absolutely crush it faster because you're older you know you have more knowledge you have more insights into life um so it is not too late and I think that if you are feeling motivated and this is something that you want to do then do it and absolutely crush it and don't wait another year um but it is never too late to get started Your next question is to the extent of you say, you mentioned that you didn't have any fashion background before landing your first fashion assistant job, and now you're very knowledgeable and skillful in apparel manufacturing. How long did it take for you to grasp at least sufficient knowledge to be confident in yourself that you know you've got what it takes? Well, I will say that about the first year of my journey in the fashion industry was so intense that that was my best learning experience that first year. Um, Now, I didn't, after that first year, feel like, oh, I have, I know everything. But I felt like I knew enough that I could figure certain things out. And this is what I suggest. I was working in a job where I was required to do everything. Um, It was a small company. We had just gone through a recession. More than half of the staff had been let go. And I was overworked, overworked, overworked. I was doing everything from design to development to production to laying out catalogs and running photo shoots. I was doing so, so, so much. And what I suggest is get yourself into a small company where you will have the opportunity to work on a lot of different types of tasks In a small company, you will get your fingers in so many things that you will learn so much more, so much more quickly than if you work for a big company where you're going to be doing one very specific task. So work for a small company, and even if it's a company where you are overworked, one year and an opportunity where you are doing way too much and you're working 60, 70 hours a week. I mean, don't burn yourself out. Don't kill yourself here. But one year of doing that will teach you so much more than a year in a really big brand. Um, processes and 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 uh, development timelines and all this stuff can vary depending on the brand. But I really suggest working in a small brand where you are required to do so much of the process. You will learn more than you could ever imagine. And your confidence will go up. You will learn the ins and outs of how everything works. And I guarantee you, you will walk away. Um, maybe it's two years you stay there, you know, depending. It, it can be different for each person and depending on the company you work for. But that's my best advice in terms of learning as much as you can in as short of a time possible. 
All right, the last question up from Sihud is, um, how do you manage to do everything? I see you have a lot of things to take care of. I want to know what your typical day is and what your routine is like from the moment you wake up from the moment you wake up and sleep. All right. I don't have a specific typical day routine. It depends on the day. But here's what I will say. I don't do it all alone. My husband helps with some things, um, some of the technology. Uh, I do have an assistant that helps me with a lot of things. But outside of that, what I will say is that most people take more time than they need to accomplish certain tasks. And I don't mean that in, to demean anybody or to say that people are slow. But what happens is if you are given 10 hours to accomplish a task, you will take 10 hours to accomplish it. If I all of a sudden tell you you only have two hours to accomplish it because you have to get all this other stuff done, you will all of a sudden be able to get it done in two hours. The more things you have to do, the more productive you become. Now, I say that with a grain of salt because, as I mentioned earlier, you don't want to overwork yourself or burn yourself out. But I have really found over the years that when I don't have enough to do, I actually get very, very little done. And the more I have to do, the more I get done. So this idea of constraining your time is hugely valuable. So the less time you give yourself to do something, you all of a sudden magically are able to get something done in less time. It's pretty crazy how it works. And I guarantee you can ask anyone and they've experienced this. So think about that. Try limiting your time on certain things and try, you know, committing yourself to getting more than you think you can get done. And I and I think you'll be surprised with how much you can get done. All right. Thank you so much, Sihud, for sending in your questions. You guys, thanks so much for listening. This has been another episode of the mailbag. And if you have any questions, please email them to podcast at soheidi.com. I answer them about once a month on the show, depending on what the schedule looks like for other episodes. But again, send them in to podcast at soheidi.com. No question is too big, too small, too silly, or too stupid. I guarantee that out there, other people have the same questions that you have, and they would love to hear answers. So please don't be shy and shoot me an email, podcast at soheidi.com, with your questions about working in the fashion industry. Thanks so much, you guys, and I'll talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. If you have yet subscribed or left a review for us on iTunes, please, please, please do that if you enjoy the episode. It really does help and it really means a lot to me um, as well as the other listeners out there. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you enjoy the show, we always do appreciate a great review on iTunes. Awesome. You guys have a great day. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.